Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. I am one of your hosts, Ingrid. And this is your other host, Ashanti. And we are back for episode 19. Oh, snap. Mm-hmm. We about to get into the into the 20s, okay? We almost at drinking age. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> So me and Ashanti have actually had a little bit of time apart for a little while because we, you know, doubled up on um, episode 17 and 18 in terms of the closeness of our recordings. But we took a little break for this one. And there's been so many things that have been going on, um, one of which was the announcement of the new CEO of ASHA. Ashanti, what did you think about that announcement? I, well... I was pleasantly surprised at seeing who she was. <laughs> oh, look how she says that. She says that so delicately. <laughs> what do you know of her? Um, you know, I Googled her name just to kind of get to know a little bit of background on her. I mean, she was she got her C's back in 1982. Um, you know, so that's that's a long time. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just was kind of curious as to what she has, you know, done over the course of her career. What has she done? <laughs> um, she, I didn't see a ton. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're when you're googling someone, you're not looking straight into their resume, so to speak. Um, but it does look like she quickly got into a lot of more managerial, um, things. Uh, I mean, obviously I could be mistaken. And like I said, you're not looking straight into the actual resume of that person. Um, so it seems like she's managerial or administrative, managerial or administrative. I'm sorry. Administrative. Um, you know, different being the head or being, you know, chairperson of different associations. Um, so, and, and perhaps that was kind of her chosen career path. You know, maybe she intentionally, you know, launched into that aspect of the SLP world. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be, it was all under her control, obviously the movement to get into what you're getting into, especially when Mm -hmm. it comes to um, that aspect of our careers is it's, it's something that you actually fight for and that you move towards um, Mm -hmm. the spaces of academia for somebody who I don't believe she has her PhD um, and moving in being an authority in certain administrative spaces. Those are really important to have. Uh, you also have to have a level of business acquiesce. Like you have to have a, a, a knowledge about business to become a, a chief executive officer. So there's, you know, a strong correlation of business to what this woman's um, internet presence, I would say, would mm-hmm. offer. Um, Vicky in terms of what I saw is just this refreshing, beautiful, elegant looking like Claire Huxtable 
in in real in real presence in terms of the ex in you know the exhibition of it all the way that I view her the way that I see her there's like that kind of perception around her um and I know that she she's been at least from what was indicated in Asha that she's been a leading force in the multicultural educational spaces Mm-hmm. So that could she could have been, you know, a pivotal or influential individual in in the reason why I had that in my academics and why it became actually something that was part of the accreditation process or an additional yeah. to it. I'm not an, I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's even like a super requirement or if it's just something that most programs now have adopted as a as a qualifying elective, but I do consider that there's probably some consideration of her in that because of the fact that she's been so heavily involved in that chair throughout her time in the organization that is ASHA. Mm -hmm. Knowing that um, she's been that way, you know, I do kind of have the flipped coin of trying to figure out why there is uh, such a pervasive and difficult space for minorities and why even in 2018 we're finding our profession be so very white (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so what what's been what's been missing what's been the gap what's been the the issue and my honest dialogue is what does it represent to have a black woman lead as the chief executive office officer for this organization in terms of the perception of white people that remain biased Mm-hmm. or remain challenged in opening up their eyes to what this organization is as a whole, which is a very challenging space of um, multicultural exclusion. It's been the people right. that have been on the outside that have forced and pushed their way and their presence, and especially on social media, it hasn't been from those people that are incredibly biased, who do still naturally only identify with themselves in, in the spaces of social media, who promote themselves, promote their businesses, there is a level of exclusionary practices that continue to remain. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of hard work to get into those spaces to say, hi, you know, we're still doing these exclusionary practices naturally. We're not going out and seeking more diversity within our day-to-day experiences as speech-language pathologists. And I'm not sure if a multicultural course is going to be enough. And I don't know um, if Vicky being present as the president is going to, or I'm sorry, as the chief executive officer is going to help people understand that it doesn't take somebody of color to change things. It does actually take the people who are uncomfortably or ignorantly or un- uh, subconscious about maybe I am participating in ways that are exclusionary that I shouldn't be. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's making, I, I, I'm just curious as to how the next few years are going to go. Um, if we're going to see big changes, you know, um, and how quickly those changes will take place. It, it's like you say, it's not just the few people that are of different cultures that have to carry this through. It's the rest of the population (laughs) that have to acknowledge where their biases lie and how, like you said, how they 
almost unintentionally participate in these things and taking ownership of that and making a change. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious, what is this going to look like? How quickly will, you know, how quickly or how slowly will this be happening? Is it going to be something that is more of a subtlety where you don't really notice the change or, you know, I'm just. I think that, I think the fact that people think there's going to be a change is interesting also (laughs) because I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's actually going to occur. Because the thing that needs to change has nothing to do with who the president of ASHA is. The thing that needs to change has absolutely to do with the practicing clinicians that are out there and the practicing educators that are out there. It takes self-evaluation and self-analysis and absolutely self-questioning. When Mm -hmm. we go back down to the root of everything that is science in the United States of America, and we start to register that everything was seen through the lens of one type of scientist, the foundational groundwork, who had specific interests and specific things that they wanted to study, that's where your outcomes come from. And Mm -hmm. so when I discuss the fact that we all need to be scientists in the room, and when I discuss the fact that we need to engage and indulge in case studies, uh, look at what evidence base is out there and then go start to question the fact that there is none and start to create our own ability to do that. Uh, That becomes a very powerful mechanism in being patient-centered for multicultural people, but then within ourselves and our own practices, are we seeking out things that look and are different, different from what we are and ingratiating ourselves a little bit with them? And, and finding a space of, of comfort in those environments, or do we kind of stick to what's the most comfortable? And I mean, historically, it's been people sticking to what's the most comfortable. And yeah, so historically, I think in- it's been it's been that seeking of comfort and not not uh, causing waves or you know not not going against the grain mm-hmm. is what usually happens. So that's why I wonder, you know, is, is there going to be noticeable change? Uh, I just don't, I don't know or anticipate or consider that there should be that because there's a new person at the helm. I mean, a lot of people think that this country was very, very different with the placement of Barack Obama, but then came Trump. They registered, well, that was definitely a different America. (laughs) And he made more of an impact than Obama did in a lot of ways, society-wise, when it comes to acknowledging diversity and inclusion, acknowledging that we have biases and racism and acknowledging it was Donald Trump that made this nation actually wake up to all these things that people had been dialoguing about because we were all under the guise that it was okay because we had, you know, a president that was black Mm -hmm. and it took something that was extremely overt to make us register. Oh, hmm. Interesting. Maybe there's more to it than we're actually seeing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's going to be kind of that same thing 
where people are like, well, we have a black CEO, so we're all hunky dory now. Check, check the box. (laughs) Yeah. And so I don't like that representation because I think that there's so, we still have the work. We still have the work. That's why there's so many, you know, influential social media people that are highlighting the fact that we need to do better and discussing the fact that we need to do better and what we're doing as speech pathologists. Um, Speaking of which, speech pathologists. I was on social media the other day and I was listening to, or I was reading, and SLP discussed the fact that she did not like the fact that she was being called a helper. Why are we calling our SLPAs helpers? Can we start there? Okay, so the the SLPA was being called a helper. Yes, this is my helper. What? Yes, this is this is something that I can't comfortably condone. This is a professional. This is an adult. There right. is no reason that we need to be calling SLPAs helpers. That's not what they're what they are. They're extenders to our practice, and right. they are assistance in what they do because they're providing clinical care. Now, in some ways, there are SLPAs that practice very, 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 very much like SLPs. And you could barely see the difference between the two. It is just that the education behind it isn't there in the traditional sense of school. I personally don't have a care in the world about academic education being more important than real world education, which is where the guest that I'm going to be revealing and rolling out in this episode, uh, the SLPA turned SLP, I will be discussing exactly how that looks for her and what her journey was. Mm -hmm. But I really do consider... If SLP is going to be a distinct practice that deserves a level of respect for what it is that they achieve, Mm -hmm. then we do need to kind of maintain some understanding. It's like saying, well, there's no real difference between a medical doctor and a nurse practitioner, but there kind of is. Right, right. There kind of is. And if we don't distinguish the differences between those two things, It makes it a really blurry space. Now, I am not saying one is better than the other because I know plenty of nurse practitioners that will do a much better job for me than physicians. And that is person-to-person based. But if I took the best medical doctor and the best nurse practitioner and I rubbed them up against each other, I would say that people would have a tendency to lean towards getting the medical doctor over the nurse practitioner any given day. Mm-hmm. If it was the same temperament, same look, same everything in an excellent level of care, people would lean into getting the medical doctor. Mm-hmm. Because it's well, you just- also have to think of it, you know, in in the scenario where if a person's called into court, who is the jury going to hold more respect or more accord for the medical doctor or the nurse practitioner? You know, who who is mm-hmm. going to be considered more of an expert? Mm-hmm. And that's the point, Mm -hmm. right? 
That's the point. That's the societal framework. That's the breakdown. So if there's a concern or a frustration with the idea of being called an SLPA or assistant, being called an assistant, I suspect that there needs to be a continuation of education so that that comes out of your name completely. Mm -hmm. And that was what I kind of gave feedback on because SLPs do work hard to become SLPs. Some of them do it in the academic striving where they're just so driven and focused on good grades without everything else that is required to to be a good clinician, um, which we would call interpersonal skills. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great personality, you know, (laughs) that that thing. um, That's very much important and probably something we should discuss in real time in during our educational course however the education is something that I do value like that did make a difference for me in my way of doing clinical practice I don't think with my bachelor's degree I would have done a very good job for my clinicians I didn't have the foundation I just didn't Mm -hmm. if I had close mentor and that supported me and got me through absolutely but I would be learning from someone who had the education so I'm just piggybacking off of that And so let's discuss this SLPA turned SLP story and kind of really unpack the situation because I felt like it was something good to to kind of dialogue on. So she was an individual that went into school to become a music therapist, which is interesting because I did not even know about music therapy back in 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's I was thing, that, just that's something graduated. you went to school for. Like, I didn't yeah, know that's something that you had an education this. for. Yeah, yeah, you can get your degree in it. Awesome. Yeah, so I was graduating high school around that time. And so I don't, when I was thinking about my program, like what I wanted to do, it just never occurred to me to think about music therapy. But that was what she was deciding to go into. And the thing that really stopped her was like, I can't get a job doing this. <laughs> I'm not going to make no money. I'm not going to make no money. This isn't yes. going to this is this, this gonna benefit my life. I'm not going to make no money. The ever important analysis of ROI, return on investment. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Am I going to make back this money that I'm forking over to study this and, and to learn this? Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and because she had had so many academic um, or taken so many upper education courses, like she kind of went through getting her bachelor's degree, but then she ended up getting an additional bachelor's degree. So she graduated in five years with two bachelor's degrees. Oh wow. Um mm-hmm. she she was a badass to say the least and got herself into a position that by 2007 when she graduated she was you know kind of up in the air because like her grades weren't necessarily optimal for graduate school. We all know how important your GPA is to getting into this SLP programs. Yes. And from episode eight 
um, when I was talking about, you know, the superwoman SLP who was just capable of like powerhousing her way through, you know, SLPA turned SLP. She kind of reminded me of that in the sense that she wasn't going to let circumstances kind of defeat her. Mm-hmm. She decided, let me go ahead and just see what I can do in that. SLPA world kind of figured that out after taking some time off. So she kind of figured some things out from undergrad when it came to diagnosing some because of her undergraduate program, but it wasn't really helpful in trying to figure out treatment. And when I think about my undergraduate program, I kind of remember that mm-hmm. there were some courses that like were like the introductory speech and language where you did start learning about diagnoses, but not so much what to do about them, right. how to address them. So she went about the experience of kind of learning the craft and getting some observation in and trying to figure out, like, is this something that she's going to be really wanting to do? Mm-hmm. And she landed herself into this clinic where she was um, dealing with this woman who, let's just be frank, participated in unethical practices. And when I say unethical practices, I mean that there were. As I was asking her questions, there one of them was, did you practice without a license? Because this woman helped her get her license, but was having her see patients. Oh, wow. I Originally, originally she started off being like uh, probably a label, a label maker type of person that was just labeling absolutely everything. And once everything was labeled... And all the other SLPAs or SLPs are like, why is this girl not working for us? Like, she's great. She's fantastic with the with the kids. Like, let's get her. Let's get her practicing. Let's get her working. She started. She started seeing clients while she was being helped to get her license. Wow. And I'm sure they were billing. <laughs> yes, they were. Yes, they oh, were. Goodness. There was in the has. There wasn't a hesitation on that. And when I asked her that question, this is this is back in 2007. Her eyes got real big because she's just like, maybe I did work without a license. <laughs> she was completely, <laughs> she was completely blown away and shocked by it because she just it didn't register fully. But she's like, I did remember her sitting in the room with me for hours. Like, not letting me treat alone. <gasps> like, the shock that occurred oh my with her. Goodness. It's insane how common that is. Is it really common to not, to to have them practice without a license? I, I just feel like in, in several of the, you know, stories that we've shared over these 19 episodes, there is, it, it happens more often than you think of someone practicing without a license huh. and, and it just kind of being swept under the rug because there's a licensed person in the building. 
Wow. Question mark. You know? I I don't know if I noticed that thing, but I may have to look at that. Practicing without a license? Don't. Like just have that. Just just don't do it. Just don't. (laughs) Don't. You know, let's let's just let's just nip that in the bud. If you don't have a license, stop practicing speech language pathology. Yeah. Or because or some version of it. Like we we can't be doing that. That's that's just not acceptable. But um I mean, there's ignorance in there. So I I find that to be a bit concerning because I don't know that undergraduate school makes it abundantly clear what you need to do if you want to become an SLPA. Right. So I... You know, I don't I remember know, them mm-hmm. covering that. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. That's why I'm like, hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know that undergrad told me that if I'm going to be an SLP, I do need to practice with the license. I don't remember it. It doesn't mean that the education is not readily available at my fingertips. I just don't remember it being something that I was specifically given as a need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Whatever she was in, indulging in or, or experiencing in, indulging, like it's an indulgence, whatever <laughs> she was experiencing at that time, you know, it, it made her really question when I asked that, that so specifically, like, were you practicing without a license? It really just startled her because she was just like, was I? Did I do that? <laughs> is that what happened (laughs) yeah yeah when you really start to reflect on your career so she started to practice and by December she did have her license and so she was basically doing work that we would say ain't okay okay like having a two-year-old language delay with a six-year-old abraxic child for group therapy while being billed individually oh oh see nowadays with parents being a little bit more aware um being able to google things being having access to advocates that is that is grounds for uh, some litigious activity if we if we if we want to be gentle about what to call it like, Ooh, let me get my lawyer. You've got to be very careful, <laughs> especially, you know, I'm sure it would be easily, you know, it, it would be something easy to look up if the child is being billed as an individual session when they were in fact in a group. Fraud, 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 fraud. Right, right. <laughs> That's what that is. It's fraud. Ugh. And she also noticed her boss changing documentation ad lib just like documentation let's adjust let's adjust your documentation let's adjust your documentation i don't mind lying adjusted that was the in what sense she was in the same taking from group changing got individual. it got it okay to maximize the the mm-hmm. reimbursement for that session got it mm-hmm. yep Yep, you need to make sure your documentation looks great for billing so that I can make my money. Ugh. Now, this awful boss hired great speech pathologists, though, and there was one in particular that she worked alongside for the two years that she was there 
seeing approximately 15 kiddos a day. Oh, wow. Right. Right. Yeah. Light schedule. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure there was some grouping in there of inappropriateness. So, I mean, that, that does abbreviate the time, but it's still a lot of kiddos to document on and see in any given day. And, um, yeah, yeah, she did have half days on Friday, but you know, it became this like, where you know, where else am I going to be able to get a job? I know this is miserable, but where is the, where else am I going to go? Which uh, even a lot of SLPs feel. That's something that's a strong emotion for all of them. So mm-hmm. the fact that she had somebody in that clinic, however, that was a really strong SLP, she got mentored, she got educated, she got supported to kind of help her. Um, but then that SLP ended up leaving to go start her own business. And so this SLPA is kind of stranded in some respects in this awful environment, this awful employment. And the other SLP did not forget about her, called her up, was like, I need you to get out of there. I need you. It's, it's, it's toxic what you're dealing with. Yeah. Come, come work for me. Well, probably it's it's grounds for, you know, you're setting yourself up to be taken down (laughs) at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But nobody did that. And that's not how that works. Nobody like whistleblowed. They just left the toxic environment. And that is also another thing of like, we're just allowing those things to happen beside us. And we just kind of not really do much to address it, which is not our responsibility. But it is something that I take note of. I do things that are outside of my responsibility all the time. It's how I get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) You got a knack for that. (laughs) I'm just fantastic about going, let me go the extra mile outside of what I'm responsible for doing because I care about the whole overall aspect of doing good things for people, doing good care and making sure that this shit doesn't continue to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm that fight that good fight thing. But in the earlier portions of my career, I saw problematic things with my supervisor and I didn't say anything because I just wanted my C's and I wanted to get the fuck out. So I know that experience well. I'm just well into it now to where I'm like, oh, hard stop. That was probably a bad decision that I made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we also, you know, I'm remembering when I was an SLPA, we also are like, "Mm, do I question this? Or "Mm, did they really do that? Am I (laughs) like, like you said, we're just so, we just want to finish it and get our C's and be be out that perhaps things that should have been questioned or addressed don't get questioned or addressed. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we don't know. We don't know. Right. Um, which is the scary part of being a, a clinical fellow. It's the scariest part because you don't know. So she went and joined that other SLP who was a wonderful mentor. And basically, it was a fantastic environment. 
she left her job to go to her mentor uh, full-on pregnant. Oh, nice. Yeah, so she became one of those badass, you know, I'm going to just carry a child and, you know, continue to grow in this SLPA role and provide care and marketing and support for this wonderful SLP's business. And, I mean, she just did a lot. And she did so much to where she was even assisting with the SLPs that were coming through for their internships and watching how badly they did therapy because they didn't have, as I said, interpersonal skills. Mm. They just mm-hmm. they just had really bad pragmatics on how to be relaxed and comfortable and present for, right. for their patients. Right. And, and how to, how to, um, bend, how to, how to bend with the wind, you know, in a, in a session in the real world, in a speech therapy session, things don't always go by the book. (laughs) Things, behaviors aren't always great or, you know, whatever you had planned doesn't always go exactly as planned. And so I feel like sometimes that clinician that comes in that was like, oh, I've graduated magna cum laude and this, that, and the third, and I had a 4.0. You're like, <laughs> okay, let's see you work in the real world. You know, you are book mm-hmm. smart, but let's see how this goes. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do with Sparkle Putty? Right. <laughs> are you going to get creative and critically utilize this tool to be something that actually advances and progresses your goals. How are you going to do that? Because that was not taught, and that's not um, what you should be taught. What you should be taught is how you take these tools and you use them to help you figure things out. But that is not always the educational structure. The educational structure is within A plus B equals C. And usually, especially in a pediatric environment, um, And what I would say personally for dysphagia, A plus B could be like Q. You could be like, what? What? That's Q, dog. Like, Like we're clean, going to skip all those letters. How did we get here? How did we get get to this? Like, is Q? Okay, all right. So let's, let's see what we could do. Like, let's see if we could walk that back and just try to find how we got here. Which is more more interesting to me. I find that to be more interesting. So she grows a lot. And as she watches these other SLPs, her, because they were taking them from uh, one of the universities in North Florida um, and just, just disappointed with clinician after clinician after clinician. So finally, her mentor goes and calls that university and is like, if you don't let her in, I'm not taking none more, no more of your students because they're <gasps> wet. Wiggity wet. She advocated for her. She advocated for her. So after four years of dangling out there in between her bachelor's degree, she finally got accepted into a remote program for her master's degree. Excellent. She started getting herself educated to become an SLP in a remote fashion, which I thought was really interesting. She got, she continued to work, which was fantastic. Her boss worked around her schedule. She also was a mother and a 
again got pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) So this girl is just like, let me just have babies while I'm working and going to graduate school. I see you. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Being a wife, being a mother, being like just doing all of this, getting herself in a position to where she's acquiring this master's degree that she's acing all her courses. And you know why she's acing all these courses? Why? Because she had clinically practiced. So it was all (laughs) relevant information. (laughs) It was all relevant. She had that real world lens. Uh Exactly. So she had so much success with it because she's just like, oh my gosh, I've kind of done this. And whether a portion of it was intuitive, whether a portion of it was osmosis through years and years of being mentored and supported and educated and her herself being a great critical thinker that could adopt things, change them and spin them on their head to actually align with what is the homogenized thinking of how to repair these things, how to repair Mm -hmm. these deficits. It is something that I find really fantastic that her clinical practice contributed to her success in graduate school, um, which is a a different avenue and being successful in it. And understanding that there's more than one way to being really successful through a graduate program and what benefits you is also the participation of real world experiences so that you can look at the relevant academic documentation or books research, all that stuff, and and just have a nice comparative, I think that's a fantastic benefit to being an SLPA after you've gotten your bachelor's degree. I think that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate understanding that being a treatment provider under the scope of what SLPAs are supposed to really do, because they're not technically the evaluators, but I find treatment sessions to be highly diagnostic. You have to constantly evaluate, adjust, and shift your care to that child, to that adult. You have to, you're present in this space of, you know, okay, I need to, I need to see what I'm looking at and make a nice little shift, pivot, ninja move so that you can (laughs) stay with it. You know, we could stay getting it. That's, that's the whole, that's the whole gig. That's the whole bag. That's the whole thing. And if you give me enough information, I can figure that I can figure that shit out. I can figure it out. I can make it work and I can make gains with you. And um, it just requires my investment in you, you know, and so Mm -hmm. she had that. She had that. And I think that's fantastic. So when we continue on with looking at how her career goes in the next episode because we don't want to drag this one out like we've been doing with so many of the other ones (laughs) um we'll continue to hear more about what it what what it took for her after she got her degree um to really recognize spaces that she was like dang y'all I really could have used this I really Mm -hmm. could have used this type of education um, there's no solutions to what she experienced because I think she ended up teaching me something, which was that SLPAs are individuals that do a lot more than they probably should. When I compare it to like a, a PTA, mm-hmm. I do consider it's a little bit more complicated because PTAs, there's there's a level of, of 
rigidity to the job. There's a parameter that you have to kind of stay within. Whereas SLPAs have a lot more fluidity. They have a lot more autonomy. They have a lot more mm -hmm. independent thinking and creativity, which does require analysis and critical thinking right. and looks very close to what SLPs are doing. They're just doing it without the education to give mm -hmm. the client the best that they can possibly give them. And I think SLPs do that in spaces where there's no research. Yeah. Yeah. I think also what what um, feeds into that is um, when we were discussing, you know, uh, when you're looking at what a PT does, it's a hard, it's a hard line. It's a black or white where, you know, can this person walk unassisted for this many feet? Yes or no. You know, in the uh -huh. speech therapy world, it's a little bit more subjective. Correct? Subjective? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that that's where I think that's what feeds into how things are a little bit more fluid, a little bit more, you know, gray area, so to speak. Yeah, of course. It's what makes our discipline very, very challenged mm -hmm. overall. It's overall a challenged environment because it is subjective. It is why you can put five SLPs in a room and ask them what happened to a swallow and you will get mm -hmm. different answers. Right. Right. When it's the most objective test that we have, you have subjective interpreters. And with right. SLPAs and SLPs, there is like a thin line between the two. And you're looking, and you're like, is there a difference? What am I looking at? What's the difference? What's the... Okay, well, she just looks like she's writing more stuff. Like, she just looks like she's got more stuff to write. But when I just mm -hmm. look at the job itself, like, hmm. What is the difference? What and it becomes really, it becomes very blurry. It becomes very blurry. And so mm -hmm. that then becomes a scenario where you, that everything correlates. Pay correlates, respect correlates, mm -hmm. understanding of limitations versus strengths. All of that correlates. So we have to be really mindful. But her experience taught me the strength of somebody that's really just gifted in the craft of nurturing and doing good work for providing healthcare. I think that there are just people that are just extremely gifted in that. And I feel that she's that person. And um, I like that because it's patient centered. It's really focused mm -hmm. on making sure the patient gets the best outcome. So we'll keep talking about her story because there is absolutely more to come. And I do enjoy the fact that there's some um, juicy tidbits to follow. But at this point, we're going to take a pause because I know that you guys got to get to your day. Uh, <laughs> as you know, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can email us at miseducatedslp. You could also DM us on Instagram or Facebook and just let us know what you think. We're always here to listen. Ashanti, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, just don't be shy. Slide into those DMs, people. Come on. In an appropriate yeah. <laughs> manner. In an appropriate manner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. Y'all could be inappropriate. I'm fine with it. <laughs> this show is explicit for a reason. <laughs> Listen. We can always get into it. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm glad, you know, you're stay you're sticking with us. 
I hope you have the opportunity to share and let people hear what we have to say. Um, I think it's important that we all kind of dialogue about where this profession is going. So I thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, so bye. See you later.